A number of years ago, I was the pastor of a church in a pretty southern town, Abbeville, South Carolina. The largest town was Greenwood, and it was there that you had to go if you wanted to go to the mall or the movies or the medical center. And well, So I had to go to Greenwood frequently, and there just seemed to be only one way there, up Highway 72 uh, and uh, to, to Greenwood there and back. Well, it was about a 20, 25-minute drive for me. Well, one day I was in Greenwood, and I said, there's got to be another way because I do like to do things a little bit differently sometimes. And so I set out to find a different route back home to Abbeville. So I took Highway 10 and drove about 15 minutes down the road, and I saw a road to the right. So I turned to the right, and I headed down that, that uh, paved road, and I went down there six or seven miles, and I said, uh, well, great. Now, you know, I guess this is heading in the right direction. And the road ran out, the pavement ran out, and I was on gravel and uh, just or sand or whatever it was. And I just kept going. And finally, a big old sign said, warning, no trespassing, and a big gate. Well, I turned around, I went back. And I got back on the main road, and I turned to the right and headed on down to another. I went down another road. And I went down that road another, I don't know what it was, five, six, seven, eight miles. And then it ran out of pavement and back to sand, and then a great big sign no trespassing. Violators will be shot. Well, I turned around, went back up the road, and got back to Highway 10, turned down that road again, and took one more road. And this time I went, went down there, and when it turned into a, 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 a sand road, uh, there was a little bridge with no rails on it, and this big old black cable was laying all the way across the road there. And I thought, well, it was just laying there. So I drove over it, and I drove... I, well, I drove over it, but I looked uh, back in the mirror, and that, little, that big black cable crawled off to the side of the road. The thing was a big old snake, black snake. I said, there's another sign, no trespassing. I said, man, what, what have I gotten myself into? Went back to the main road, turned to the right, and about five minutes down the road, I come up to this huge road sign that said, Welcome to the Promised Land promised land South Carolina I thought I'd died and gone to heaven I said oh boy I'm in good shape now I saw a brick store old store on the side of the road and a couple old guys sitting out there on the bench in front of the store at the gas station I pulled in there and I walked over to those guys and they just uh, uh, you know uh, it was hot and I walked over there and uh, said hey excuse me sir could, could you tell me how to get to Abbeville from here and they didn't say it, didn't even move, didn't move, like a statue. I said, excuse me, sir, could you, could you help me? I, I need to get to Abbeville. And they looked up at me, and they just grinned real big and looked back down. Uh, well, I was getting feeling kind of creeped out about that time. <laughs> and then this guy pumping gas, a younger guy, came over there to me. He says, uh, he says I can help you. He says, just get back on this road, and at the next road, the next intersection, Turn to the right and stay on it, and you'll get to Abbeville. Now, this was only going to be about a 20-minute drive. I'd already probably spent 45 minutes to get here. And then I went to the next road, and I turned right, and that went on for another 20-some miles. And I finally got home to Abbeville. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I followed my way of trying to find a different route 
home, and I got into all kinds of problems there. But when I followed the right directions, then it ultimately led me home where I needed to be. See, that's the way it is with life. I mean, we're on a journey. We're on a path that God has set for us. And, there, you know, life is a journey with many roads and many detours and uh, many dead ends. The thing to remember is that God has a perfect path for us, a kingdom path that is sometimes difficult, sometimes even dangerous, but ultimately it leads to God's kingdom and heaven. So today we're going to continue to look at Paul's journey. And by the way, Paul is, we're almost finished with his life here. This journey we're going to look at today put him in the path of powerful people and ultimately would lead him home. What we learn from Paul's journey, his transformation, is how important it is to stay on God's path for us because only then can we make a difference for God's kingdom. And folks, I have to tell you today, the world today really needs the difference that Jesus Christ can make. Would you say amen to that? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 22. I want to bring you a message I've entitled, Transforming Grace. Acts chapter 22. And would you just bow with me as we will look at these passages and dissect this and study it in just a few moments. But let's just stop and pray and ask God's guidance here. Father, we pray thanking you for your blessings. You're so good to us. And Lord, now we open the precious Word of God. This is your Word. This is what you spoke. And Lord, this is what we need. Lord, the whole world needs this Word. This is, this is the, the Word that helps us live, teaches us how to live and how to die and how to have eternal life. And God, I pray today that your Word, your Holy Spirit, would take your Word and would touch many lives with it, Lord, that our lives might be transformed that we might be on the right path, your path, and that we might see how it is your grace that puts us on that path and keeps us there. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Transforming grace. Now, when we continue in our study of Paul, we see that Paul had made it to Jerusalem, the place where our Savior died a cruel death and rose from the dead. Jerusalem, where the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born. Jerusalem the place of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, Jerusalem, the place where Saul was taught the Old Testament law and learned to hate Christians. Now he had returned, not as Saul, but Paul, not as a Christ-hater, but as the most committed Christ follower. That's what the grace of God can do for a person. It can completely change his life. Folks, there are many books written about how to make changes in your appearance or attitude. Only God, though, can change the heart. Only God can make a transformation that is complete and will last forever. That's what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. Wherever he went, he told the story of how Jesus had touched and changed his life. To whom have you told the story recently? Who knows your story of how Jesus has transformed your life? There's someone who needs to hear it. Paul told his story before Gentiles, and he told it before Jews. God's transforming 
grace through Jesus Christ is the same for everyone. No one is beyond His power to help. God, Paul said that the grace of God in the, is rich, that God is rich toward all who would call upon Him. That the gospel is, the, is power, the power to transform your life in eternity for the Jew and the Greek, for all who will believe. So, no one is beyond God's power to save. No one's beyond His power to help. What Jesus did for Paul, He can do for anyone who will put their faith and trust in Him. Once Christ Jesus saves us, once He comes into our lives, He sets us on a course that will take us through life and ultimately into His kingdom. We might call it a kingdom course because it's all about getting us and as many as we can into His glorious kingdom. That's God's grace. Paul understood that. And that's why he never gave up, not even when he was persecuted and almost killed. It's our scripture, in our scripture passage today, we see him again facing the Jews, facing danger, facing their jealous rage over the gospel. Over the gospel, imagine that. Over the good news that Jesus died for our sins on the cross to pay the price for us with his own blood. And then he rose from the dead, as we just sang. He rose from the dead victoriously to give us eternal life. That's great news for us. But not all people feel the same way about it. Just remember this. The gospel will make people either glad or mad. The gospel makes people either glad or mad. And here we see how it made some people Mad. Now we see in chapter 22, verse 17. Let's look there for a moment. Now it happened, Paul, Paul said, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. He is giving, he is giving this people uh, in Jerusalem, these Jews. He's giving them his story. The story of God's grace in his life. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. This is when, this is when Paul was, had first accepted Jesus on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus said, I'm going to send you all over the world with the gospel. And he's in Jerusalem praying in the temple, in that place where he should, the good news should have been received. But Jesus appeared to him and said, No, go, Paul, get out of here because they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So Paul, I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and in beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And, and they listened to him. The Jews listened to him until this word, and then they had had enough. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Why were these people so angry at Paul's message? Was it not a message of life and hope? Was it not a message of God's grace upon all? Well, that's exactly why they hated it so much. The Jews hated Gentiles. And when Paul said the Lord Jesus sent him to preach salvation to the Gentiles, 
They hated Paul as much as they hated Christ Jesus. Remember that a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And the Jews felt like salvation belonged to them. Their cries for the death of Paul echoed their cries for the death of Jesus. In Mark 15, 12 through 14, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who, whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. Pilate asked what evil Jesus had done. Jesus had done no evil. There was never an evil thought in the mind of Jesus, never an evil word in his mouth, never an evil motive, only love and grace. What evil had Paul done? He had given them his life. He had given his life to preach the gospel of hope and peace and eternal life. He had given up everything for the salvation of Jews and Gentiles. Yet here he stood condemned of no crime, but preaching the gospel. And for that, those evil Jews were calling for his death. And they would have killed him had it not been for the grace of God rescuing Paul from that angry, sinful mob through an unbelieving Gentile, by the way. Look at verse 23 and 24 of chapter 22. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Once more we see an innocent man condemned by an angry Jewish mob standing before a Roman official. Jesus had stood before the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate. Paul was now standing before the Roman tribune Claudius Lysias. Both Jesus and Paul were bound for the, the Roman scourge. I've told you about that scourge. The scourge where there was a wooden handle with leather strips interlaced with bits of bone and glass and sharp, even sharp metal sometimes. And, and that scourge, a, a, a victim was bound, tied, tied and whipped with that scourge, flogged. Scourging was called the half-death, possibly because half of the victims died from scourging, or else the beating was so severe that it always brought a man near death. The Romans used several soldiers to administer scourging. The Jews only allowed 39 lashes because, according to their law, if a man was beaten more than 39 times, he was considered dead. He was declared dead. Well, when Jesus stood before the Romans... The Romans beat a man mercilessly over and over, and many times he was beaten to death. When Jesus stood before the, the Roman soldiers, he was scourged, and then he was crucified. When Paul stood before the Roman tribune, he ordered Paul to be scourged. What the Jews were doing did not make sense to him. He thought that if he beat Paul severely enough, Paul would tell him the truth of why the Jews wanted to kill him. The scourging would have been carried out if God had not intervened through His grace. A grace that was at work in Paul's life in those circumstances. A grace that had been at work in Paul's life even before he was born. Look at verses 25 through 29. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said... To the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. 
And then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. And then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The Roman Empire was the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. It lasted for nearly 1,600 years. And its influence continues still today. The title of czar that you hear sometime in modern days is short for Caesar. In Paul's day, Roman citizenship was limited and very important. While most ancient civilizations were monarchies and had no citizens, the Romans devised a system of rule whereby the citizenry had a part in its governance. While there were different levels of citizenship, all citizens had representation, protection, the right to legal trial, with appeal to the emperor himself. Additionally, citizens could not be tortured or whipped, could not be scourged publicly, nor could they receive the death penalty unless they were guilty of treason. A person could become a Roman citizen either by birth, by buying the privilege, or through an extended period of military service. In order to attract more soldiers, Rome offered citizenship to those serving in the military for at least 25 years and who received an honorable discharge. Paul was born to a Jewish family in the city of Tarsus within the province of Cilicia. The emperor Pompey made Cilicia a Roman province in 64, 64 BC and Tarsus he made a free city. Tarsus was an important city to Rome because it was on a major trade route and also because a very important university was there. So Rome granted citizenship to the men of Tarsus. And therefore Paul, at birth, his father being a Roman citizen, was now a Roman citizen from birth. To publicly flog a citizen of Rome without a trial was a crime against the empire. And the Roman centurion and the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias, knew that. Claudius Lysias was the Roman tribune in charge of the garrison at Jerusalem. As a tribune, he was a very powerful man. He commanded a Roman cohort, which is one-tenth of a Roman legion of about 10,000 soldiers. So he commanded about 1,000 Roman soldiers. Lysias was a very, very powerful man. Now when he heard that Paul was claiming Roman citizenship, the tribune immediately put a halt to the order, the order of flogging. In fact, Luke said that they were all afraid when they heard Paul say he was a Roman citizen. The Roman orator Cicero said to bind a Roman is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. Lysias set Paul free. But he kept him in protective custody, still uncertain about the charges against him. The next day, he called, the tribune called for the Jewish Sanhedrin, that he might hear Paul's defense before them. Now we move to verse 30. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, Lysias released Paul from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish Supreme Court. It was composed of 70 men made up of priests and, uh, who were usually Sadducees and Pharisees. They served as religious and political leaders in Israel. The high priest served as president of the Sanhedrin. 
So Lysias brought Paul before the Sanhedrin. Verse Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brothers, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. While Paul stood accused by the Jews, Paul told them that he stood before them with nothing on his conscience that would condemn him. Now that was a slap in the face of the Sanhedrin. You see, that meant that the Sanhedrin members were guilty parties. And that infuriated the high priest Ananias and he ordered Paul to be slapped across the mouth. Verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul accused Ananias of being a hypocrite, claiming to uphold the law, but then condemning him and sentencing him before the trial had even started. Paul was echoing the words of Jesus, who said of the same Pharisees who condemned him, Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Folks, no one could rightly accuse Paul of being a hypocrite. Paul was careful to live the Christ life before others. He was 100% committed to his Savior. And that's why he could stand before this Jewish council with a clear conscience. He even apologized to Ananias, the high priest, for speaking disrespectfully of him. Paul's conscience was clear. But what about the rest of them in that room? The Jewish historian Josephus called Ananias one of the very worst high priests, known for his pro-Roman sentiments, extreme cruelty, and greed. These were the same kind of evil men who judged Jesus without, without a legal trial. Who was really guilty? Was it Jesus? Was it Paul? Or was it those who called for, his, for their deaths? We know the answer. There were a lot of guilty parties, but it was not Jesus and Paul. The truth is, folks... But these men in that room were the guilty parties. And so are you and I. We're all guilty. Because as Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul said, for he, God the Father, made him who knew no sin, God the Son, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul saw no righteousness in himself. He knew, like we know, that the only thing which differentiates the hypocrites which accuse Paul from us is the transforming grace of God. It's not a grace we deserve. It's not something we earn. It's just God, God, His goodness toward us working out His great purpose in us. And that's what we see in this part of Paul's story, how God, through grace, was at work in Paul and for Paul, even before Paul realized it. Paul was in Jerusalem because God worked out an intricate plan to put this faithful apostle, not just before these Jews, but before those powerful Roman officials. Remember, 
Paul's powerful ministry at Ephesus, how God was at work. Do you remember when we studied that? How it was so powerful in Ephesus that even pieces of his clothing, like handkerchiefs, that when they were given to someone, their diseases were healed and demons were cast out. Well, at Ephesus, the Holy Spirit gave Paul a message about his destination in Acts 19.21. The Holy Spirit said to Paul, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Jerusalem was not Paul's final place of service. It was Rome. And that's why before Paul was born, God put his intricate plan together to make Paul a Roman citizen. God had molded Paul. And just think about how God had worked in Paul's own family to put them in that place and worked through the Roman emperor to declare Tarsus a free city and Cilicia to declare citizenship to those people. Just think of how God worked out his intricate plan for Paul's good. And by the way, Jews were not granted Roman citizenship. There was a dislike for Jews by the Romans just like there was a dislike for the Romans by the Jews. But God used a Roman emperor to grant citizenship to a whole city so that Paul would be a Roman citizen even before he was born. And ultimately, because of that, Paul would get to Rome. And that, my friends, is what the grace of God does for us. And read the grace principle with me today. Ready? Go. God's grace sets a course for His children that begins before they are born and leads to His kingdom. Now think about that for a minute. Paul did not know God's purpose for giving him Roman citizenship, but God knew. That's why He put His family in Tarsus. Listen to what Paul told the Jews in Jerusalem. Chapter 23, verse 3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. I taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous toward God as you are all today. Paul said, I was born in Tarsus, but when I was young, I came to Jerusalem to study law as a Jewish Pharisee. Do you think God's plan enabled Paul to speak with credibility to both the Jews and the Gentiles? I mean, think about it for a minute. He could talk to the Jews because he was a Jew. He could talk to the Pharisees because he was a Pharisee. But he could talk to the Romans because he was a Roman citizen. Everything that happened in Paul's life was, des was designed to keep him on God's kingdom course. That would take him through all kinds of people to share the, the gospel to talk to people about Jesus everywhere, Jews and Gentiles, to preach the gospel, and then ultimately take him to Rome. Now, I want you to think about your life for a minute, your family, your experiences. How many of those experiences can you see now were part of God's kingdom plan for you? You know, sometimes God puts us in families, where we are loved, nurtured, our faith is, is nurtured, we grow, we, we have a foundation, we accept Jesus, we are in support in our Christian walk. Sometimes God's grace puts us there. Sometimes God rescues us from families that have no faith, that do not care, 
that have no support spiritually. Sometimes God puts us in families. Sometimes God's grace rescues us from families. How many times has the grace of God been at work through your circumstances to keep you on His perfect course for your life? Can you see how God was at work even before you were born to put you on a certain path? I can see it in my own life. Friends, I want you to see a picture. Can you see that picture? What is this? Is this a lifeless mass, a worthless blob of tissue, a piece of gar- garbage for someone to choose to discard? Absolutely not. This is a person made in the image of God with a God-designed purpose for his or her life through which God in His grace will work to bring others into His kingdom. And friends, when you destroy this little life, you have no idea how many others will be affected and will miss God's kingdom because someone made a choice to destroy this life. God's plan for you began before you were born. You were right there. This was you one day, just like this. And God's plan for you began before you were born. Just think of the lives you have touched throughout your history. And what would have happened if someone had discarded you. It's frightening. And let me tell you, killing all those babies is the biggest thing Satan's ever done to keep people out of God's kingdom. These little babies, oh, they're there. Someone asked me, what happens to those little aborted babies? They're there. But what about all those who missed God's touch through them? God told Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God's purpose for your life did not start the day you came out of your mother's womb. His kingdom purpose started long before that. So, Let's look at Paul. God was taking Paul. Where was he ultimately going? What city? Rome. And where is he now when he's under attack? Jerusalem. So Paul was, God was taking Paul to Rome via Jerusalem, and this is how it happened. Verse 6 of chapter 23. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, And the other part were Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. He cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Let me stop there. These were sects in Israel. Groups of religious people, uh, uh, people that believed one thing, like like a denomination we might call, something like that. And you had the Pharisee denomination, and you had the Sadducee denomination, and you had the Essene denomination. It was from the Essenes that we got the Dead Sea Scrolls that verified like 99 point some percent of the Bible we have today. It's authenticity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, we don't see the Essenes here, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were in the, in the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, their high court. The Sadducees... Did, the, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees did, you see. And Paul said, it's for the resurrection that I stand here accused. What resurrection? 
The resurrection he believed made the difference in his life. The resurrection of Jesus. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose he had a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or no spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. And then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. The Pharisees took his side. Now when there arose a great dissension, a big fight broke out. The commander, the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must all bear, also bear witness to me in Rome. God was using a Roman tribune and, a Roman, and Roman soldiers to accomplish His purpose in saving Paul's life. Folks, God can use anyone or anything, whatever it takes, to get you on His kingdom course for your life and keep you there. God will do whatever it takes to make sure you arrive at your kingdom destination if you will give up your way for God's way. And that's the lesson, folks. It's our way or God's way. And when we choose our way, and it is not God's way, it just does not affect us. It affects a lot of other people. We're all part of God's kingdom plan. We're all intertwined. And what affects me might affect you. And vice versa. And that's why we need to always be alert to what God is trying to say to us. He has given us His Holy Spirit to help us hear and discern the voice of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we can hear the voice of our shepherd. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Have you ever heard the voice of Jesus? I'm not saying you heard a thunderous voice like Paul heard on the road to Damascus. I'm saying if you ever just had felt that something inside you trying to tell you to go a certain way, or, or don't do this thing, or do this thing, and it was the Holy Spirit. It was the, the Spirit, it was the voice of your shepherd, Jesus, leading you toward His kingdom purpose. Like sheep, we often have a tendency to go our own way and do our own thing without thinking about how it's going to affect others in God's kingdom plan. We don't see things like God sees them, folks. Folks, just think about it for a minute. Think about how we see things. We're looking through a keyhole as we go through this life. This is what we're looking through, like a little keyhole. This is how we see. We can't see God's humongous kingdom purpose. All we see is that little bit of, a little bit of a hole we're looking through to try to get through this life. That's why we need to hear the voice of our shepherd. That's why we need to follow him. 
into His purpose because His purpose is much bigger than we can imagine. We need to stay on God's course. Amen? And this is how I think we can do it. So what can we do to stay on course with God? Let's read it together. Staying on course with God. Number one, spend quiet time with God every day and listen for His voice. I know we, listen, I know we like to pray and we talk. Y'all ever get wordy when you pray? I do sometimes. I'm, I just talk and talk and talk to the Lord. I love to talk to the Lord. I love to. But you know something? Prayer is a two-way street. And when you pray, you need to be quiet sometime and listen. Number two, spend time in God's Word and pay attention to what you're reading. Have you ever just read the Bible and you really didn't pay attention to it? You're just reading it. You say, well, I'm, in my, I'm trying to read through the Bible in a whole year, so I'm reading along. And Well, that's great, wonderful. The Word of God's like me for you. Meat, I mean, spiritual meat, you need the Word, but pay attention to what you're reading. Don't just, it would be, listen, for God to speak to you, it'd be better for you to read two verses and God give you a real message for your life than for you to read 200 verses and get nothing out of it. You see what I mean? So pay attention to what you're reading. Number three, spend time worshiping God in church and pay attention to the lesson or sermon. Now, we've got a lot of folks that are watching We've got people that are normally here. They're watching. They can't be here. They're on vacation or traveling. But they watch. Thank you. Thank you for watching. And you know, our messages are archived. So if there's some reason you can't be here, you could go back and look at them. Go on our website. You can see what you missed. And I'm grateful that hundreds and hundreds of people watch us. They go back and they, they watch us through the week. They don't just watch on Sunday. So thank you for doing that. Now, I like the, the fact that we can have a service of worship together because there's something special to me about sitting down and in a place where we worship God. This, is, this place is designated for a place to worship God. And there's something very special about this place. And when I'm sitting there and I'm listening to a speaker like I will at homecoming, I'll sit back and listen to what Brother Jim's going to say. And I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to be saying, Lord, give me something. And somewhere in his message, you know what's going to happen? There's something I'm going to get. Something. So it's important to go to worship. If you can't get here, watch us. But go to worship. Worship God and allow God to open your mind through the music and through the praise. Do you know what that should be designed for? Listen to me. God loves your praise, but He's got 10 billion angels worshiping Him. Do you understand? And they sing much prettier than we do. God loves our praise, but the worship is not just designed to praise God. It's designed to get you ready to hear in your heart and mind what God wants to say through this. You see? That's what worship should do. It should get us ready for it. So go spend time worshiping God in church. Next, number four. Watch for unusual things God is doing in your day-to-day -day circumstances and see if they are God at work. Pay attention. And lastly, number five. Always, say, read it aloud with me. Always be willing to exchange your plans for God's plans. So seek the Lord and stay in His plan. 
Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Max Licato told the story of these two battleships assigned to the training squadron that had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days, these two battleships. And he said, I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout replied, Steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous course with, the sh with that ship. Well, the captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship. We're on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, Send. I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The signal came back. I'm a seaman second class. You'd better change your course 20 degrees. Well, by that time, the captain was furious. Who was this, who was this seaman that was, was failing his order? He spat out, send message. I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing signal. I'm a lighthouse. We change, the battleship changed course. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with making future plans for ourselves. But we should remember that there's one that knows more than we know. Amen? And we should remember that when our plans get in, way, in the way of God's plans... Our plans have to change course. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I like it the way the Holman says it. Would you read it with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the what? Right path. Now that's the part of surrender that people have the most problem with changing their plans for anyone. Even God. But I've learned that if I'm going to stay in the center of God's plan and I'm going to follow His course, His right course, then I must be willing to let God do whatever with me He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. I must be willing for Him to adjust my life or my course anytime He chooses. Because that's the only way I'm going to be able to stay on the right course, the best course, the kingdom course. Would you bow with me? While you bow, let me ask you something. What course are you following? Are you following your course or God's course? Are you willing to change course? To change your plans to do what God wants you to do? You don't have to go... Folks, to a new city, you don't have to go to Jerusalem or Rome. What about your city? Where is God trying to get you from and to? Maybe He's trying to get you into the life of someone who really needs you at home or in your workplace. Maybe there's some disagreeable people in your path. 
And God wants you to show them the light so that they can change course. You can't make them, but you can show them God's path. Maybe you need Jesus in your life because you're not on God's path at all. He's got it. He's got the path set out for you. It happened. He did that before you were even born. Why don't you ask Jesus to be your Savior? Why don't you pray now? And with all your heart, say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you suffered horribly. And you shed your blood to wash away my sins. Please forgive me, Jesus, for all my sins. Please come into my life and transform me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive. And Jesus, I want you to live in me. I want you to take control of my course. And I want you to make sure I'm on the path that you know is best for me. I want to follow you, Jesus, all my life, all the way to heaven. Thank you for being my Savior. Boy, if you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer anybody could pray. And you just now need to follow Jesus. And you need to do those things we talked about. Get in His Word every day and pray and listen and link up with a good church. This is a great one. And be faithful to it. And come and listen and learn as God speaks to you through His Word. Just let God lead you. While we're singing, I'll come down to the bottom and I'll be there if you need for me to pray for you. Whatever you need to do if you want to be a part of our church and, and you're, uh, we've talked and you want to be a part of our family, you just come on down while we sing. Brother Steve, let's, uh, let's sing. Stand with us as we sing together. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in